because you're thinking about that video and what it might be like for your family to have a Liberia water problem. As, I, as you're thinking about that and allowing that to swim around in your head and your heart, hopefully, over the next few minutes, I want to introduce myself. My name is Todd Phillips, and although I'm not going to get to meet everybody, and I really want to, so I hope that happens when this is all over. It's not obviously going to happen, I bet, for every one of us to meet. So I'm going to say, hi, my name is Todd Phillips, and your name is, and then you guys all tell me your first name. Does that work? Hi, my name is Todd Phillips, and your name is? I feel like we had a moment, don't you? Let's close in prayer. Just kidding, that was a joke. Um, everybody, raise your hand if you're here today. Good. Almost everyone, that's awesome. We have a lot to share today. I'm going to share with you a lot of miracles. I'm going to share with you things that only God can do. I'm going to share with you uh, realities, events, where God literally stepped out of heaven and into time and space to accomplish something many times that only he could do to bring about transformative impact in an entire nation, border to border. And the reason that started is because of young adults in the Washington, D.C. area, average age of about 27, at a church I used to pastor called Frontline up in Washington, D.C. These young adults really believed God for great things. And the passages that really pushed us, compelled us into the arena that I'm about to tell you about over the next half hour came out of these three areas of the Bible. Matthew 28, of course, many of you know that's the Great Commission. We'll call that the Great Commission. It's not going to be on the screen. I'm just going to read these to you so you can just hear them. Allow your heart to soak them in, to be reminded of not only God's grandeur, but his call on our lives, and just in the same way how he called these young adults in D.C. to do the things that you'll hear about in the next few minutes. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, for lo, I'm with you always, to the very end of the age. The reason that's called the Great Commission is because it tells us what we're to be about doing this side of heaven, right? As long as we're still here and Jesus hasn't come back, our goal, our mission, our job is to wake up every day and look for opportunities to share the love of Christ in practical and receivable ways, not just with the people we know, but those we don't know. In fact, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 Matthew 28 tells us what to do. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 actually tells us where to go. And you may be familiar with this one. It says this. This is in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So God not only tells us what to do, go make disciples of all nations, but he tells us where to go, starting in Jerusalem, going to Judea, Samaria, the surrounding towns, and then to the ends of the earth, just like he would call us in San Diego to start here, go to the surrounding towns, and to go to the corners of the earth with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Not just in the words we speak, but in our actions, that we would go out there and proclaim his message through our words and deeds until he comes again. And then there's this little-known passage. I still believe this to be the case for a lot of people who follow Jesus, and it's chapter 1 uh, of 1 John. In, in 1 John, uh, the author, John, is writing this letter, and at the very beginning in the first three verses, he tells all about this Jesus that he has witnessed. He has first-hand account of this Jesus who is the Christ, the Savior. And after he begins in the first three verses of 1 John, saying who this is, who he's met, and who we ought to know, he says this sentence, eight words, he says this, we write this, he's writing this letter, we write this, the believers, to make our joy complete. 
Now, before we go any further today, if we get nothing out of the message but this very thing, and we walk away with it, allowing it to pierce our hearts, transform us from the inside out, and move us out into the world, God has done a great thing today. Because in Matthew 28, he tells us what to do, make disciples. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he tells us where to go to get that done, starting in our hometown or in the San Diego area, going to the outskirts towns, and then all the way to the ends of the earth. But in 1 John 1, 4, he says, here's why. Here's what to do, here's where to go, but here's why to do it. He says, we want to share Jesus so that other people will come to know him. We all know that. But this sentence was transformative to me, and I know it will be for you if you really allow it to sink in, and it certainly was for the young adults I'm about to tell you about today. He says, we tell people about Jesus to make our joy complete. Ours. Do you know, I believe there's massive numbers of people in the church today who are extremely frustrated in their walk with God, finding very little progress, just going through the motions. And I believe it's because there is a simple thing missing in their lives. They are simply not sharing the reality of Christ with other people who don't yet know him. It's that simple. In 1 John, John says, we write this to make our joy complete. He didn't say we write this hoping for a positive response, right, so that our joy might be complete. In the act of sharing... His joy is made complete. How many of us in this room today and on the campuses throughout this area at Newbreak, how many of us are living a less than passionate life? Don't raise your hand. Don't point. Just think about it. The things I'm gonna share with you today, my prayer has been not only would you give into this, your time, your prayer, your finances as you go through this process as new break, but that God would transform you from the inside out to change the way you think about life, to change the way you think about every breath that you take, to change the hope that you might have about living a passion-filled, purpose-driven life. Not eking out an existence, not just keeping my nose above the spiritual water, but living a buoyant, profoundly impactful life. Because the story I'm about to tell you is about young adults that believe God for great things, but the question is, what will your moment be? How will you live a passion-filled life for God's glory, for his name and his renown? And how, because of that, he will then... And this is the beautiful thing, allow your joy be, to be complete. Listen, if I, if I promised you I had cans of complete joy to sell out here after the service was over, if it was really true, everyone would buy a can. Who doesn't want to be joyful? Nah. Right? I mean, who doesn't want to be joyful? Who doesn't want to live a life of complete joy? It comes from the reality of understanding God's plan. So I'm going to tell you a story today. I'm going to tell you a story about miracles. I'm going to share three of the many miracles that happened through the process of this mission, this ministry called The Last Well. And it starts, these miracles start with young adults. I had the privilege of pastoring this church called Frontline in the D.C. area. There's about 4,000 young adults, average age of 27. We took a survey every year. And every year, for some reason, 
those thousands and thousands of young adults coming to 10 different campuses around the Washington, D.C. area, all high output, type A, working on the Hill at congressional offices and the FBI and USAID. I mean, I was the low guy on the talent totem pole, all right? Amazing young people that were involved with this church. They came to this church at all these different campuses with all this passion, and God got a hold of them. They came to faith in Jesus Christ, and then they wanted to go out there and change the world. Very interesting thing happened. In 2008, you may have seen this movie. It was called Amazing Grace. In fact, raise your hand if you've seen this movie, Amazing Grace. One, two, three, four. Yeah, very few. What, a dozen of you in the room. You should watch it. Very powerful movie. Not successful commercially at the theaters, but a very powerful movie about a man called William Wilberforce who was credited with ending the slave trade in the UK a couple hundred years ago. He wanted to be a priest, and God had different plans for him. He wanted to be a priest. God took him into parliament, into government. And he spent 40 years, four decades of his life, fighting the slave trade. The gavel eventually goes down. The slave trade is made illegal. 72 hours later, William Wilberforce is dead. So when I say he gave his life, he literally gave his whole life for the cause that Christ gave him. This movie went out. And I'm convinced those 4,000 young adults in about a two-week time frame saw this movie. Every one of them. And I would see them at Starbucks. I would see them at the church after services, at the church offices. They would come up and they go, Pastor Todd, did you see the Wilberforce movie? I'm like, yeah, I saw it. Now I'd heard about Wilberforce in seminary. But a lot of these young adults had never heard about him before. And they saw this movie and it transformed them. It just fired them up, gave them passion to do something great. And they would ask me over and over and over again. This was the question. Why can't we see something end in our generation? Like Wilberforce did. Why do we have to read back 200 years or watch a movie about somebody doing great things? How come we can't have our own Wilberforce moment? And the phrase stuck. They wanted to know what their Wilberforce moment would be. So let me just stop here, pause in the middle of the story, and just ask this question to you. Might you be trusting enough in God at this point to just whisper to God even this moment, God, what would my Wilberforce moment be? So they asked that question, what would our Wilberforce moment be? And we began to study a couple of different things. They wanted to go to the worst place in the world, such as young adults, right? I'm thinking, how about, I don't know, Mexico. It's just south of the border. You can drive there. They wanted to go find the worst place in the world. And so they started doing all this study and brought a lot of data back from congressional offices and all these places they worked. They found out that this place called Liberia, this little West African country, was the worst place they could find. At the time, in 2008, 2009, it was the second poorest country in the world. They keep stats on this, right? And it was also, believe it or not, the second most miserable place to live in the world. And you're like, how do you know that? Well, they actually keep a misery index at the CIA. It's a real thing. And Liberia was number two. Now, what's the question everybody's asking? <laughs> right, I'm not telling you. Anyway, so Liberia, Liberia was number two. And I'm really not. Now, number two, Burkina Faso. Um, number two on the Misery Index. And then it was named by USA Today's subsidiary, an online subsidiary magazine from USA Today, as the most corrupt country in the world. So poverty, misery, corruption, just came out of a 14-year civil war. I mean, this is the place you want to run from, and everyone did. All these NGOs, non-governmental organizations and mission groups, they just ran from Liberia, left it for dead during the civil war. And you know what these young adults said? They said, that's exactly where we want to go. 
So it became apparent as we were looking for our Wilberforce moment, Liberia was going to be the place. Had no idea what we were going to do, but we knew where we were going. And then we asked, what's the greatest physical need that we can use to earn the right to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with this country? And it became extremely apparent very, very quickly that it was water. Up to 100 people a day in that country in 2009, a day, were dying from waterborne disease. 100 a day. Half the people in the country are under the age of 15. They call it a nation of children. Half of the population under the age of 15. So half the people were dying, actually more than half that were dying were under the age of 15. These were children that were not seeing their fifth birthday. Happening day after day, four times an hour, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. These young adults have said that's not okay. That's not okay. So we realized that water was going to be the tool that we would use. And here was the key, though. The place was Liberia. The tool was going to be water. But the goal was the gospel. Right? Because of Matthew 28, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, 1 John 1, 4. Where do we go? Uh, what do we do? Where do we go? And why do we do it? To make our joy complete. They wanted to go out and transform the world, have their own Wilberforce moment, but not have Wilberforce get the credit. God would get the glory when this happened. So that's what happened. We put an entire process together where we had a mission around the place of Liberia, the tool of water, the goal of gospel. And by, by the way, this little tiny yellow country right there, that's Liberia. Little country in the midst of West Africa that very few people know about. In fact, when I talk to people about we're working in Liberia within about a minute, about half the people that I talk to, so they'll say, tell me more about Libya. Happens all the time. Nobody knows where Liberia is. Nobody knows anything about Liberia. It actually has a very storied past with the U.S. Liberia was actually purchased for $100,000 U.S. dollars under the Monroe administration almost 200 years ago to repatriate ex-slaves from the U.S. Anybody know that? A couple of you. Good. Nice. History buffs. Really? You guys all, really? That's like the most people that have raised their hands. There's like half a dozen of you. But nobody knows this. Monrovia is named after President Monroe. The first eight of 11 presidents in Liberia were United States citizens. They're connected. They're connected to us. They call themselves the Lone Star. I'm from the Lone Star State. They call themselves the Lone Star. They say the star will rise again. These young adults began to learn more about this country and realize this, and they built this mission. Provide access to clean drinking water for the entire nation of Liberia, border to border, and offer the gospel to every person we serve by 2020. It was December 31st, 2020. The young adults in that group wanted to have a Wilberforce moment, an end date. I would often talk to them and we would talk about this. I don't know why these numbers stuck, but it was like, you know, we would say this 10 years ago, November 12th, 2020, 2.59 p.m. Liberia time, a drop of water has been pumped from the last well in the last village as a Liberia pastor, Liberian pastor is standing atop the well preaching the gospel. People's hands are raised receiving Jesus for the first time. And all of the country has been reached with the gospel and clean water. God put that mission, that vision, that passion in these young adults. And we started a mission back in 2009 to reach a country for the first time in human history with the gospel and clean water. That was in 2009. The second miracle. What was interesting about this whole story was how it started, yes, but then how it developed was quite astonishing. It developed in spite of us. We had no idea. We had no idea just how big the mission was going to be. 
clueless. In fact, I say this with only half tongue in cheek. I'm pretty serious. If I, if I knew, and I know many of these young adults, but certainly me, if I knew how big the job was going to be, how challenging it was going to be, that Ebola was going to strike in 2014, all the issues that we've dealt with, if I would have known that, I would have run the other way. The challenges that we've seen and we've been met with over the last 10 years are unbelievable. But the reason I tell you about this miracle, about this idea that a donor funds an entire county is because it got me and helped all of us be reminded of how big our God was. See, Liberia has 15 counties or political regions. They would be like states here in the United States. These 15 political regions are broken up uh, and um, uh, they're very, are relatively well-defined. And very early on, we realized that the Liberian government didn't have any information, any accurate information, census information. We, they didn't know how many people lived in the country. In fact, when you talk to people or you go read UN, United Nations reports, they would say anywhere from 3.6 million to 4.5 million. Now, I want you to think about that for just a minute. Here's a country where there could be another 900,000 people we just don't know, which in fact means there could be another 2 million people we just don't know. And so we realized very, very early on that we were going to have to do our own assessment. So we started working with Christian church planning groups and evangelistic organizations and other NGOs, non-governmental groups, and we began to build a coalition around this idea of going hut to hut, village to village, district to district, county to county, border to border, and identifying and geolocating every human being within the borders of Liberia. And in the midst of doing that, we realized that there weren't 3.6 or 4.5 million, there was 5.1 million people. We found 1,100 villages in one of those 15 counties that were on no maps. 1,100. As we gathered that data, we were very excited about this. This was several years back. We went to one of our fundraising events. We have an annual fundraising event in the Dallas area, which is where we're based out of. And we sat down as a board of directors and a staff and the volunteers and teams. We said, look, let's put these pictures up at this fundraising event of all 15 counties because we had assessed them all. We knew where everybody was and so we could identify here, here's the need and here's the number of wells it's going to take to reach these people and, and water filters it's going to take and these are a number of evangelism teams and church planning teams we're going to need to go out and do this mission in each of these 15 counties. When we got done with the whole message, I had one of our board members come up and introduce me to a guy. We'll call him Don. Well, that was his name. We'll kind of stick with that. So anyway, Don... Don comes up uh, with, with Heath, one of our board members, and Heath introduced me to Don, and I said, Don, how you doing? We introduced each other, and he said, I'm fine. He goes, I, I want to do the same thing that you're doing, a smaller version of what you're doing in Liberia. And I thought he might be a missionary or a church pastor or something like that. Maybe they had a smaller country or another region of a country they wanted to work in. I said, anything we can do to help. You know, one of our passions was that, that other organizations, other churches and denominations, groups, companies, whatever, would go out and do the same thing in other countries. Use water as a tool to share the gospel. And I said, so how can we help? What country are you in? He said, no, 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 you don't understand. I, I was looking at all 15 of those county pictures that you had in the lobby. And my family, we, we just, I just prayed about this as you talked about this. Me and my family want to fund an entire county. Like the whole thing. Like it was, and I, and I remember thinking this, and I'm stuttering right now as I think about it. I didn't know what to say to him, right? Because we're asking people to give $20 or $500 or, you know, crazy stuff like $1,000 at the time. And this guy walks up and says, I want to fund a county. And he actually picked one out. I still don't know this day why he picked it. 
But the total cost for that county was $238,800. $238,800, I can still see it. And he said, that night, he said, can you set up a little, tell me exactly what it's going to do for Bomi, and just let's sit down in a couple of days. Long story short, he sat down with me at this lunch and uh, pulled out his checkbook before we ordered the food and just wrote a check in front of me for $238,800. Now, what you don't know, because I haven't told you this, 100% of the money that we raise goes to Liberia. It doesn't cover salaries, me. It doesn't cover my travel or anything. That We have a small group of donors that covers all of that in the U.S., so if someone here tonight, today, gives uh, $10 or $100 or $2, whatever it is, all of it goes. All of it goes to Liberia. So he wrote that check, and I began to I realize for the first time that I had lost sight of how grand God was. Do, don't we do that all the time? I mean, honestly, we're very forgetful people. Let me just speak for myself. I'm very forgetful about God's miracles in my life. Maybe you are too. You know, when I think about Moses, God using Moses to part the Red Sea. Powerful story, isn't it? I mean, you think about it, that would be incredible, right? And wouldn't that be amazing if we were to be a part of that, if we actually saw the Red Sea part and went through it on dry ground, the Bible says, and then came to the other side and then watched the, watch our enemies taken out by the water to save us? You'd think we'd remember that, just like the Israelites, but the Israelites didn't remember that, did they? They got to the other side, saw the water come down after they were saved, turned around and said, Oh, no, we don't have any water. Think about that. <laughs> really. You know, I'm thinking on a, you know, after a really nice shower, you know, if there was a puddle on the sidewalk after a spring shower and God parted a puddle, that would transform my life. You'd think. That'd be impressive. But those things happen and we're forgetful. And in the midst of all this, we had gotten so deeply engaged in the logistics of what was going on in the field. The stuff. And it's all necessary. But I, my nose was so to the grindstone at that point that when Don showed up and decided to fund an entire county, it shifted our thinking. It made us think differently than we thought before. Because we didn't realize it at the time, it was going to take that kind of grand move of the people of God to accomplish and get us to where we are today. His family went on to fund another county of the 15th. One and then a second of the 15. Two of the 15 counties funded by one family. And then others began to see that. Churches, denominations. I could go on and on and tell you the story about how these different counties have been sponsored in so many wonderful ways. But it was because God transformed our thinking. In fact, that's Bomi. There's Liberia. These are all the 15 different counties. And that county right over there in the far west is Bomi. Every man, woman, and child inside the borders of that county have been already provided clean water and have already been reached with the gospel because of one man, one family's obedience. One man just simply said yes to God, right? Now, it doesn't matter if it's $238,800 or fervent prayer, right? We, we act in obedience to the way that God asks us to act. We say yes to God's invitation, but that's exactly what Don did, and it allowed us to think bigger. God used Don in our ministry to remind us how grand God was because it was in the midst of this, and this is the end of the story that I didn't tell you at the beginning. He funded that county in the midst of the Ebola crisis. I happened to be the last American, non-medical personnel, American, out of Liberia during the Ebola crisis. I saw it. I was there. 
when the numbers were just geometrically progressing in Liberia. Everybody thought, everybody thought, even when we had that fundraising dinner, we had very few people come to that fundraising dinner because the assumption was our ministry had been shut down by Ebola. What they didn't realize, and a lot of people still to this day don't realize, all of our people that serve in the field are Liberian. They're not Americans going over to do the work. We stay out of the way. We train behind the scenes, we pray, we raise money and awareness. We are here, they are there doing the work. So during the Ebola crisis, when they thought we were shut down, hundreds and hundreds of our church planners and evangelists and water providing teams were out there working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. In fact, that year in 2014, when Ebola hit the crescendo, its peak of destruction, it was the first year we reached over a quarter of a million Liberians with the gospel and clean water. A quarter of a million. Do you know that we did statistics on this based on UN data? The number of people that were saved by clean water provision who are seeing their next birthday in 2014, who saw their next birthday, the number of people who were saved was 10 times the number that was taken by Ebola. Isn't that amazing? So Ebola gets national and international attention for taking lives. The last well, it's Liberian teams in the field saved 10 times as many and no one heard the story. No one heard the story. Another thing that happened because of this, and I think it's important for you guys to see this as we look at what God's done through this ministry as you consider being involved with it as a church, as an ongoing partner with us. That's a letter of completion from the National Ministry of Public Works. They oversee water provision around the country in Liberia. When we started getting these county-by-county county maps of the need, and we got the funding for BOMI, it was amazing. We got open the doors for us to talk to the government and begin to build ever stronger relationships with the Liberian government. And now they go out and do an external audit. They don't care about the gospel piece. We do all that work and collect all that data and do all that from a God perspective. But these letters are completion letters stating that we have reached every human being within the border of, that's the BOMI letter, uh, each, each one of our letters. We have 11 of the 15 counties now completed. This is BOMI's. Uh, and we gave that to Don and his family when it was all over. But because of this, we've been able to develop a structure. Now, this is the way God works if we really lean into him. What's happened now is we built a system over in Liberia that can work in Sierra Leone, that can work in Burkina Faso, that can work in Rwanda or Burundi or Guatemala or Peru or Ecuador, anywhere where God can come in and take the systems we built in, in cooperation with government agencies and non-government groups, Christian groups, secular organizations coming together with this mission because it now is known that it can be done because God's that big. I said this one time and It is really stuck with me, and I wanted to put it up here because a friend of mine says, you need to include this when you're giving this presentation. If we can finish a county, Bomi, we can finish an entire country. And since then, that quote has changed. If we can finish a county, we can finish a country. If we can finish a country, we can reach the world. See, I believe God wants to use the work that the people of Liberia are doing for themselves. Not us. 
But those Liberian evangelists and church planters and water provision teams working together, I believe he wants to use, God wants to use this to reach millions and millions of others with the gospel through the provision of clean water as a tool. And now it can happen. This is a Wilberforce moment for our generation. By December 31st, 2020, the gospel will be preached to an entire nation and water provided to each one of those villages. Third miracle I want to spend the rest of my time on. You guys, I think, are aware of Sawyer products, right? If you're not, you should be. Daryl Larson has become a very good friend of mine. Um, this story uh, really was transformative in, in the reality of what's going on with Liberia and allowing us to get to the point where we're 10 months away from crossing the finish line and making history, having our own Wilberforce moment in our generation that we can all be a part of. Sawyer products are the filters. In fact, I'm going to fast forward. Let me get to this. I'll just show you a video real quick. You've probably seen this before, but these Sawyer filters, I want you to see what they do, and then I'll tell you the story of how we got connected. That's normal, dirty water in Liberia. We didn't do that for effect. That's just the water, okay? And then that water that was up in that yellow bowl comes through that Sawyer filter you're watching there. It's gravity-fed. It comes out absolutely clean. In 2014, around the time of the Ebola crisis, when we also got funded with a, a donor for an entire county, God just started expanding the vision of how we were going to move this uh, uh, forward and get there to 2020. I was introduced to the Sawyer filters by a small group of guys out of Indiana. There were three guys that were going over to Liberia taking duffel bags of Sawyer filters, like 100 at a time. They would save up the money to get a coach, you know, you know, airfare, go over to Liberia, stay with a missionary group, go out to a village, give 100 filters out there, train them and all that stuff, and go back home, save up, and come back another, in the next year. So every time they come, like 100 or 150 filters. They had a passion for Liberia, and they introduced me to these filters. I had no idea what they were. At that time, when we were doing all these county-by-county county assessments going hut to hut, village to village, we realized that all these small villages that we were going to, we couldn't get to them with water, uh, with the rigs, with the, with the machine rigs that it would take to drill boreholes. There were huge trucks and trailers, etc. Sometimes you'd have to go down a walking path 30 miles just to get to a village of 17 huts. So it became apparent that the water wells that we were using all over the country were not going to be sufficient to reach everyone. And it was a crisis point for us because we're like, wow, I mean, there's probably six, 700,000 people that we are not going to reach with our current water provision strategy. And then I get introduced to these at one of our partner conferences. One of these guys from Indiana comes up, I think his name's David, came up and said, hey, you ought to use these in some of these villages. I go, tell me more about that. So he told me about the filters. I remember coming back to the U.S. after that, sitting down with my board and going, hey, here's the deal. You know, we talk about pushing through the brick walls, the uncertainties that we come up on, trusting God. Well, we've got village after village after village we're not going to reach with wells, and we've got to find a solution, and I think this filter might be the case. So we looked at it, we tested it, we realized it was very effective and that for certain villages and communities, it was going to be the perfect solution model. The problem was we were going to need an estimated 100,000 of these things. And I think they retailed for like $32 or something like that or $40 or something like that at the time. So what's 40 times 100,000? A lot, right? No, that's true, it's a lot. $4 million, $4 million. Well, we didn't have that. Um, it was just going to be a, just an incredibly difficult thing. It was just so much more than we had planned. We had already built our systems around it. That was four million extra dollars we didn't know where it was coming from. So I remember telling my board, I said, look, guys, we need to start praying 
for some sort of provision here. Something's got to happen or we're not going to get to the finish line. So I remember calling David, the guy from Indiana, and I said, listen, man, do you know anybody at Sawyer Products where you're buying these filters? You know, how much are you paying for them at this, that, and the other? He goes, we just buy them retail at like the REI or something. We, we don't have a big enough, you know, like we don't buy enough for them to, you know, have a discussion with us on some kind of volume thing. We buy 100. And I said, well, we need to find someone. He goes, well, I don't know anybody. And I go, well, listen, I don't know why I'm about to say this, and this is not my personality. I don't do this every day. I really don't. You got, you would, knowing me, you would know this. This is unusual for me. I said, I said, David, here's the deal, man. You should pray with me right now. We're going to pray that one of us meets the owner or the CEO of Sawyer, like at a gas station or a Starbucks, sometime in the next couple of weeks, and we're going to get like 100,000 filters free. And he laughed. And then he said, seriously? And I said, yeah, bow your head with me. Why not? Because that's the only way it's going to happen. So we prayed over the phone that day. He got off the phone. I got off the phone. I remember going, I think, to Heath at the time I was, I was officing out of one of my, that, that same board member's uh, company, one of his little offices in his company that he owned. And I said, Heath, we need 100,000 filters. And I just prayed that God would provide them. I'm not sure how, but we're supposed, we're, I prayed that we would meet whoever the owner or CEO of the Sawyer company is. That was it. Two weeks later, I'm up in Washington, D.C. at a fundraising event. I, I get out of the event. I go up to my hotel room to check my email. Two weeks later, I'm checking my email, and this email comes up. I'm going to show it to you because it's too crazy for me not to show you the email to believe it, okay? So I've been praying that we'd meet the owner or CEO of Sawyer Products, that somehow we'd get 100,000 filters for free, and I get this email. Completely out of the blue. Guy's name is Art. Art's a guy I hadn't seen for 15 years. He was a missionary in Guatemala when I met him 15 years before, back in the early 2000s. Thursday, May 14th, 2015 at 1.15 p.m. Hey, Todd, love to touch base with you. Just the other day, I was wondering what you were up to since a friend of mine was doing something up at McLean Bible Church, where I was doing Frontline, that young adult church. So I looked you up and saw that you were in Texas teaching and are now working at the organization you started, meaning the last well. Well, interestingly enough, I had a meeting with a guy who wants to impact an entire country by addressing water issues and bringing the gospel. I was hoping to get 10 minutes of your time. My cell phone number is Blessings Art. Now, you just, you know where this is going, but it gets so much better when you hear it. So, I got that. He's the pastor of missions and outreach at this church in Florida. And I called him up right there, got on the phone with him. He goes, that was quick. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, all right. I go, I go um, are you sitting down? And he says, yeah, why? And I said, I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm almost certain of what you're going to tell me, but it's going to seem weird to you. Here we go. Is the guy that you were talking to that you sent me the email about connected with Sawyer Products in any way? He said, how could you possibly know that? I said, I've been praying for two weeks to meet the owner or CEO, whoever runs the show there, because we need 100,000 filters in Liberia for free. He said, the guy's name is Kurt, and I can get you on the phone with him. Later that day, we got on the phone the first time. We had another follow-up call a few days later. About two weeks after that, Kurt decided to fly his seven or eight key people, including Daryl uh, at the time, into Dallas. He flew them all to me. 
we sat down and started at 8 o'clock in the morning, and by 4.30 that afternoon, an all-day conference, we had penned a deal for 100,000 free filters. I've never seen anything like it since. I wish God would show up like that every day. Now would be a good time since we're close to the end. But I'm just saying, it, what does it tell you? He can do anything he wants, right? He owns cattle in a thousand hills. He can sell any of them anytime he wants for anything he wants. He's running the show. Is that incredible? He's so in charge, right? He just orchestrates all this. So not only could I experience this and Art could experience it and Kurt and everybody else that was involved in the process at the time, but we could, we could, bring, we could bring clean water to nearly 2 million people that we couldn't otherwise reach when it was all said and done or is all said and done in December. That's the kind of God we serve. So very quickly, let me tell you really quick where we've been and then where we're going and I'll be done. Over the last 11 years, we've worked with our teams in the field to put in 9,013 projects in the field over the last 11 years, reaching 2.4 more or more people. Half of those are children. So more than 1.2 million children have been reached with the gospel and clean water in the last 11 years. And if you look here, you can't read this, I'm sure. I can barely read it from here. But in 2009, we had done 25 projects. That was one project every two weeks. In 2019, we did 2,376. When I say we, I mean God. And when I say God, I mean through his people and their obedience. We're doing an average of one village. We're reaching one village with the gospel and clean water every 98 minutes, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It is an unprecedented engagement point. Nothing like it has ever been done in human history regarding gospel engagement through any provision, let alone water. And I say that with all humility because it's a grand God that does these things through his obedient people. Now, what's left? Everyone in red, and now that I look at this just right now, I'm realizing why wouldn't these things be in blue? Anyway, <laughs> every one of the ones in red are completed with the gospel and clean water, border to border. Every human being inside those 11 out of four, uh, 15 counties has been reached gospel, uh, gospel and water, border to border. Nimba, Lofa, Monserrato, and Margibia, the ones in that grayish blue. I'm colorblind. I think it's blue. What is that? I'm in with you. That's a gray. That gray, that means those are the, those are the counties that we still need to reach between now and December 31st over the next 10 months. We have a road map to completion. So we're right at the end when you see, and this one's in bluish. What, what color is that? Oh, good. Okay. So this is in a bluish color and all of it's covered. That's what's going to happen by 2020. God's going to get it done. But this strategy is in place. It's been in place. It's been proven. God's done it. Our teams are in the field. They're working tirelessly. They have a passion to go out there and get this done. There are men and women going to the last villages up in the most remote regions of each of these counties, going village to village daily. We couldn't stop them if we wanted to. They're not being hired by us. They're going out there and they're going village to village going, water is coming to this village and Jesus is bringing it. It's coming and Jesus is bringing it. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. They're doing it all day, every day. They don't ever take a day off. They just go village to village, path by path, hut by hut. Water's coming and Jesus is bringing it. They know, they feel, they have hope. A hopeless society now has hope in a great God. 
Liberia, when this is done, will be the first developing nation with universal access to clean water and arguably the nation most saturated with the gospel. That's coming. And all of us can be a part of it. Of all the moments in history, of all the experiences we share, of all the seconds that tick by, there are few moments that change history and only a very few of us become actors on the stage of history at those moments. The rest of us watch in awe from a distance. Examples of this are the men and women in the control room at NASA in July 1969 who, along with Neil Armstrong, were actors on the stage of history, teaming up to put the first man on the moon. Millions of others around the world watched from a distance. Or Stanley Levinson, Clarence Jones, Martin Luther King Jr., they all worked together to actually write the famous speech, I Have a Dream. Each of these men would never be the same. They'd stepped onto the stage of history. Millions of us would watch that same speech many times throughout our lives, but we were not on the stage. What about William Wilberforce and many others in the British Parliament who accepted an invitation to be on the stage of history, working to end the slave trade in Britain nearly 200 years ago? Their lives would never be the same. Many of us know Wilberforce because he chose to become an actor on the stage of history, but we read about him from the sidelines. Roger Bannister and his coach, Franz Stampfel, believed the four-minute mile could be broken, and Bannister actually crossed the finish line in three minutes, 59.4 seconds. Their lives were forever changed, but most of us have simply heard the stories of his famous run from afar. We read of men like Moses being used as a tool in the hands of God to part the Red Sea and save his people. We marvel at the moment when Paul and Silas, by the direction of the Holy Spirit and under his power, causes a lame man to walk. All of these people were actors on the stage of history. What's the difference between them and us? It's simple. They accepted the invitation. Will you? We've been invited tonight by God to be actors on the stage of history not to watch from a distance. We've been invited to the stage to proclaim the today power of God and make his name famous in our generation. And through it all, we're transformed in the process. We have been brought together for such a time as this, to change the world for maybe one last time. When was the last time you were invited to be on the stage of history, to transform the world? Here's your invitation. This is your invitation to get out of the stands and onto the stage of history. This is your invitation to be part of your own Wilberforce moment. This is an opportunity for all of us to come together and do something profound and to share it with generations to come. Be a witness or be an actor. I've run out of time, but I'll say this to you real quickly. We had a $31 million project cost when we began. $31 million. Had no idea how it would happen. We now, as of this morning, and we check daily, $684,329. That's it. This church can finish this this weekend. It can end this weekend. You're going, how would that happen? I've just done a couple of things. I was talking to Daryl about this. A couple thousand people at New Break at $343 a piece. That's one way of doing it, and we're done. $3,000 a well. Can you do a well? $3,000 to bring a well in the gospel to a village of an average of 500 people. A $50 filter. We talked about the filters. We'll bring up to 20 people the gospel in clean water. You just start putting math together, right? 10 wells, $30,000. How many lives do you want to change? How many lives do you want to change? Be a part of this. Too many people in the church today are staying in the stands. 
Listen, if it's not the last well, make it something. If it's not the last well, pour your life out for God in some profound and significant and life-altering way in the life of another person. But I'm asking you to also pray about this. Do you know that the strategic goal at New Break is $57,000 this weekend? Someone listening to this, either a single or maybe a couple, there may be a couple. Someone is getting this message from God, I can promise you. There's probably a couple sitting listening to this right now, and they know they have the ability to do that 57,000 by themselves. And the husband right now is hoping the wife doesn't turn and say that because they're both being spoken to. There's another couple or an individual going, you know what, $3,000 would be a sacrifice, but I could do that. And God's going, do it. And we've got an option. We just say yes or no. Whatever God tells you to do, let's all say yes. Let's all be actors on the stage of history. The pastors are going to come up and tell you how you can be involved. I'm going to close in prayer, but I want to say this before I go. Thank you. Thank you for whatever you choose to do, whether you choose to be a part of this or you choose to sacrificially pour your life out in some other way. Thank you in advance for being an actor on the stage of history. God needs Wilberforces for our generation. Will you be one? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the time today to share this story that you're doing. Thank you for allowing me to be a mouthpiece for you, for your grandeur and your glory, for your intent and the way that you perfectly accomplished the task that you set out to do. Father, please lead us, each of us today at New Break, at all the campuses, and just allow us to ask the question, God, what would you have me to do with the last well? What would you have me give? And Father, you would speak in your still small voice in a very clear way. You would just give us what that is, and then we would obey. Father, use us profoundly. Finish this. Take us across the finish line that we can show the world not only it can be done, but it has been done, and it can be done again. That other Wilberforces would rise up through this process to change this world for maybe one last time. In Jesus' name, amen.